0: Cool, so my name is Kurt. I'm the Youth and Young Adults pastor here. And we are continuing tonight our series, uh, which is How to Adult. And if you were here for the first message, it was probably about a month ago now, I think, you may remember that I spoke a little bit about adolescence. So adolescence is taking a lot longer uh, than it used to many years ago. And so people are leaving home, starting a career. Uh, Getting married, having kids, a lot later than they did in the past, as in adulthood is being delayed. This is just a sociological observation that people have made of Western culture. And I also not only covered some of that, but I I talked a little bit about some of the reasons behind why we're delaying adolescence, why we're um, adulting later in life than we used to. Um, So one is that we're more affluent than past generations. So if you think about it, you may have heard stories of your parents or of your grandparents having to leave home as soon as possible and get a job, start a career asap because if they didn't, they couldn't survive. We don't have that problem anymore. There's safety nets, there's Centrelink, and there's uh, family, and uh, there's just a whole lot more affluence around. So if we happen to be without money for a time, we can survive a lot more easily. So that's a big one. Uh, the world is getting a lot more complicated. <coughs> excuse me, a lot more complicated than it has been in the past. And I think that can lead a lot of us younger people to, to just look at it all and be like, man, that's so confusing there's so much to think about it's overwhelming life insurance and you know like just all the stuff that we have to think about um, that people in the past didn't have to and so it's I guess a whole lot easier to stay in your parents' basement and play video games you know until you 're forty or whatever i don't do that by the way um, I'm also not forty, but um, another one is screens and other types of entertainment um, they enable us to i guess Feel like we're living our lives because we're sort of experiencing the world through maybe other people's eyes, and that can make us feel like we've got a life when in fact we don't quite have a life yet. So that can be part of it too. And because of this, our generation, and uh, and that includes me as well, we occasionally need a polite kick up the bum to get us to adult a bit more um, every now and then. And so this series is just such a kick. And hopefully it is a polite one because the ultimate aim of this series is a good one. It's to, uh, in fact, this is a verse from Ephesians chapter 4. We want to be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ so that we're no longer like immature children, but speaking the truth in love, growing in every way more and more to be like Christ. Now, tonight's message is a little bit shorter than usual because we've heard uh, some fantastic stories of mission, and we've also got the Q&A afterwards, which Mark will run, so it's more like a 20-minute message tonight, um, and so we'll be zipping through it. But tonight's message I've called Do Hard Things. I'm not sure if that slide is working yet, so we might just need to get that set up. Um, but do, do Hard Things is our message tonight, and like a lot of the different messages we've heard so far in this series, it's a message we don't naturally want to hear but kind of one that we know we should. And we know we should, we know we need to hear this kind of message because we live in a time when really, if we're honest, life has not been easier. So all of us obviously still can suffer setbacks and challenges. Like I said as well, the world is complicated, so there's there's complication and there's complexity to life. But in terms of things like comfort And affluence and security, like, there's not been a generation that's had it better than us. We really do have, you know, the best in history. We don't need to hunt for food to stay alive, for example. We just go to Coles and we microwave it in three minutes. That's a pretty big change from a few centuries ago. We don't need to write, uh, my grandma I think still does this, write to a pen friend on a different continent and then wait for like three months for a letter to come back, um... That's really what people were doing for you know, hundreds of years. Um, now we literally can just text anyone on the other side of the planet in a second. Like that's how quick it is. It's amazing. Uh, we've got no shortage of technology. In fact, what we all need, and I think we'll probably all admit to this, we actually need self-control to stop technology taking over our lives. Right? It's not for lack of technology that you know, it's, that's not a problem for us. Another irony, I guess, is that we don't need to worry about keeping ourselves alive uh, with good nutrition. What we need to worry about is fitting enough exercise in the day so that we don't die of overnutrition you know, at the end of our life. So my point is we've got it really good. We've got it better than any other generation in history. Despite this, there's a lot of voices actually telling us to be really dissatisfied and to whinge about the West, And uh, to have an attitude of entitlement and to claim some sort of victim status, I talked about victim status maybe a couple of weeks ago, Uh, that seems to be a really popular, really common thing uh, these days, to to paint yourself as a victim and to whinge and to be entitled. Um, And fortunately, I don't hear that from this community. And to be honest, I don't hear it a whole lot from people our age, fortunately, but it's there and it's a a part of our culture and we bump up against it from time to time. But, see, victim status, entitlement, all of that stuff is actually not going to help us to grow up at all because that's the way toddlers behave. Like that's growing down. We want to grow up. And that doesn't empower anyone. So the answer to all of this stuff that we're sort of bumping up against in our culture is Scripture. The scripture is full of, of all sorts of advice and commands and stories that tell us to do hard things. So things like love until it hurts, face trials well, Take responsibility. Stare down your sins and strive to overcome them. Obey God even when it's uncomfortable. Put others before yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Like this is just a tiny sampling. But I mean, how many could could we list from the Bible? Commands in Scripture for us to do hard things in one way or another. So tonight I want to talk about four reasons that the Bible calls us to do hard things, because it does. It calls us to do hard things a lot. What are the four reasons? What are are four of the reasons that it does this? Well, the first of all is to be rewarded. Now, that might sound a little bit self-centered, so just bear with me a bit as I unpack it. One of the telltale signs that we're struggling to adult is that, and, and any of us can see this in our lives, is that we're constantly doing easy things. Constantly choosing to do easy things, choosing the path of least resistance, whatever that might look like. Maybe that's going to bed way too late, maybe it's watching too much Netflix, leaving assignments to the last minute, working just enough hours to pay the bills and no more, bailing on our commitments last minute because we can't be bothered or because some better option came up. These These are all examples of us taking the easy road the path of least resistance, choosing, making easy choices. But let me point out something a little bit scary about this. The whole can't be bothered attitude, and I confess to it as much as anyone, it's it's just part of our lives, Um, but that can't be bothered attitude is actually the pathway to addiction. It's how addictions start. Um, So no one wakes up one day, for example, and decides to become addicted to porn or to alcohol or to drugs of some kind. They instead, like no one gets up and decides that. Instead, over a period of months and maybe years, they choose little things one day after another. um, they, They basically make the easy choice because taking that substance or engaging in that, whatever it is that they're going to become addicted to, is actually a lot easier in that moment than facing up to the responsibility or the emotion that they should be dealing with, that they know they should be dealing with. So the pathway to addiction is by making easy choices. The thing with addictions though is of course they suck, like no one wants to be addicted to anything, it makes life totally miserable. And so the point I'm making here is that any decision you make is actually a hard one. There's always two paths, right? This can go for small choices, it can go for big choices, there's always two paths. One path, generally speaking, will look fairly easy. But ultimately, if you choose that easy path, then it's going to take you to a pretty miserable and desperate place at some point, if you keep making those types of choices consistently. And so addictions is a good example of that. But there are other things too. Um, For example, bad grades at school or relationships that just go really sour, that become dysfunctional. Maybe it's like fewer and fewer career choices or job opportunities over a, a period of time. Maybe it's your faith, your walk with Jesus, fading away bit by bit, slowly, by taking that easy road. The other path, so consider the other choice in each of those scenarios that we face in our lives, it might, from the outset, actually look difficult and it might even look miserable. But the thing is, it ends up, in in the long run, being a lot easier than the alternative because it doesn't lead to all those dead ends, all those horrible outcomes. It doesn't lead to them, it actually leads to something so much better. And so this choice, this other one, is the decision to say no to temptation, It's the decision to say yes to responsibility. It's basically the decision to do hard things, to make difficult choices. Here's an example that might help. Put your hand up if you do sport of some kind, like any kind of sport, individual, team, whatever, awesome. So most people, whatever that sport is, training for it is hard, right? Particularly if you're serious about improving and you you really want to do well at this. Training is hard. You don't necessarily always want to go to training. And I'm sure there are times, you know, if if you actually have regular training events, you're like, I can't actually be bothered this time. But if you're a diligent sportsman and sportswoman, you're actually going to go each time. You choose to anyway. You push through those other feelings. And when you make that hard choice again and again and again to train, eventually you improve your skills. You end up getting much better and you feel fit and you feel healthy and you feel good about life. That's true of me. When I'm, you know, actually working at this stuff, I feel really good about life. It would be a lot easier to sit on the couch and eat chips, but that's the path of least resistance and it leads to nowhere good. Now, I've spent just, I don't know, three or four minutes unpacking a fairly complicated sort of set of examples and stuff to say something that the Bible says in a far simpler way. So let me just read Galatians 6.9, which says, Let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And obviously this passage, uh, this verse comes from a passage with a broader context, but that principle is true of so much in our lives. It can be applied to the big decisions, it can be applied to the small decisions. But the point is God calls us to do hard things because there are actually rewards for doing hard things. There's a harvest that we can reap if we don't give up, if we continue making those hard choices. And the reward may not be a rush of happy emotions, but it will be a long-term satisfaction. And the Bible doesn't just talk about this life either, this world. The Bible actually talks about eternity. And so the satisfaction that we get from making hard choices and from doing the things that are more difficult is a long-term satisfaction that actually lasts beyond this life to the life to come, which is amazing. So first of all, do hard things so that you'll be rewarded. Another reason the Bible says that we should do hard things is to grow in character. You might notice, in fact, this idea of growing in character is quite closely linked to the idea we've just looked at. Um, But here's a question for you. Does anyone know how a pearl is formed? Some people probably, yep, some people have heard this analogy before. I did a bit of um, research this week, and turns out, like obviously we all know pearls are quite valuable, um, but the most valuable pearl in the world is valued at $140 million. Um, It is five feet across, so granted. But a, a pearl is formed... When some kind of foreign object, like maybe a grain of sand or a parasite, actually makes its way inside of an oyster or another, um, like a creature of a similar kind. Um, Oysters are obviously the most well-known. But this bit of sand or this little parasite makes its way inside, and in order to protect itself, the oyster actually covers this in some sort of a coating. Um, so that, you know, there's no infection or whatever. And over time, more and more layers of this coating are added to that little speck of sand or the, the parasite that's gotten in there until a pearl forms. That's actually how a pearl is made. And there's an incredible lesson in this for us. The lesson is this. It actually takes suffering and irritation for something as precious as a pearl to form. Pearls are formed through suffering. Pearls are formed through irritation, through difficulty. And the same is absolutely true about the formation of our character. It's not just that suffering you know, is a little bit easier for us to stomach or to, to bear to face because we know it's going to grow us in character. In fact, it's, it actually goes far deeper than that. It's that if we're going to develop the kind of character that God wants us to have, we actually need to face difficult circumstances. Like we need difficulty, we need... Just like an athlete who is going to get better at his game, at her game, they need training, they need difficulty. You know, a weightlifter has to go through all sorts of pain, all all sorts of difficulty and struggle to actually achieve the goal that they're after. And in in the same way, if we want to develop the kind of character God wants us to have, it's only going to happen as we face difficulty, as we face even suffering of various kinds. And this is why James says in chapter 1... Such a brilliant passage. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, any kind, just linger on that for a second, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. See, there's a lot of people that actually walk away from their faith when it all gets too hard. And I'm sure people come to mind for you even as I say that. But the reason that people walk away from their faith when they are facing trial or suffering that seems to them to be beyond what they can bear is because I think to some degree they've actually misunderstood the Christian life. Because we don't come to Jesus so that he takes away our difficulty and suffering. That's not the gospel. That is not the Christian message at all. In fact, following Jesus is probably going to involve more challenges and opposition in life than you would otherwise choose. Following Jesus is going to add to your problems. Let's just be honest about that. There's going to be some amazing payoffs as well, like eternity, for example. Um, But in this life, there's going to be challenge, there's going to be opposition. We come to Jesus... Not so that life is made easier and, and everything becomes perfect. We come to Jesus so that everything in our life, sufferings and all, can end up serving a greater purpose and shaping our character so that we become more like him. So remember Romans eight twenty-eight. If you are familiar with the Bible, this is probably one that you know. It says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Notice that it doesn't say that everything that happens to us will be good. It's a really important distinction for us to make. It does not say that everything that happens to us will be good. It says instead that God will use everything that happens to us, including all the crap. doesn't use the crap word in there. But including absolutely everything we face, whatever that is, really good, really bad, all of it is going to be used by God for good. C.S. Lewis puts this really well. A um, bit of a cheeky quote. I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. So he's getting at the same idea that I've been banging on about the last few minutes. And we heard from um, Rosie and Wes and Anna before. I'm sure that they didn't make the choices that they have over the last year or so because they were looking for comfort. I'm guessing you guys have actually faced probably some of your biggest challenges Um, in the time you've been away, like Wes's boat story, for example. (laughs) But I'm guessing you've also grown in character more than you could ever have hoped to. And that's what making hard choices does. Isn't that the same uh, for all of us with the different things that we've faced in our past? When you look back over the times in your life where you've grown the most, of course it's the times that you've faced the biggest challenges, right? When we've faced the most difficult situations. So that's the second point, do hard things so that you'll grow in character. All right, number three, another reason God calls us to do hard things is to change the world, to change the world. So old dead people have the best quotes, so I'm going to be quoting a few more of them tonight, uh, especially about doing hard things. That seems to be a topic they cover very well because maybe our generation's a little bit soft on some of that stuff. But... I want to share a few with you. First of all, uh, and I want to actually unpack the life uh, behind these, these few quotes I want to share as well. So the first one is from Winston Churchill. I love this one. He says, it is not enough that we do our best, sometimes we have to do what's required. It's not enough that we do our best, sometimes we have to do what's required. So Winston Churchill was the British Prime Minister during the Second World War. And you may not know a whole lot about World War II, but a really important fact is actually that Britain was almost invaded by the Nazis. Like, it was knife's edge for a while there. We could all by now actually be speaking German if that had happened. I'm not even kidding. Uh, but under Churchill's leadership, they won the Battle of Britain and they, they were successful in the D-Day invasion, which the US and Australia and New Zealand um, were part of as well. And so they ultimately were able to defeat Hitler. Churchill was an incredible orator and some have called him the greatest statesman of the 20th century. And he led the nation in a really, really difficult time. He made incredibly hard calls. And that quote, I think, just perfectly summarises his leadership during World War II. It's not enough that we do our best. Sometimes we have to do what's required. Hard things, hey? Um, another one is from Mother Teresa. And there's a lot of fantastic things that she said, but I love this one. I don't even know that it came from her. I've quoted this you know, recently, not even realising it was her, but I found out today it was her. Live simply so that others may simply live. Live simply so that others may simply live. And she absolutely lived out what she said. She moved to India before she was 20, and then she spent a couple of decades teaching. And at the end of that, she's like, I need to serve the poorest of the poor. She just saw so much poverty and brokenness in India um, that she just gave the rest of her life to doing that. And by the end of her life, the mission she began had over 600 bases in 123 countries. That's just within her lifetime. And she won a lot of awards for her work, including the Nobel Peace Prize. And today, her name is like literally in English, it's literally a synonym for compassion. That's how powerful her life was. And that, that's what she said, live simply so that others may simply live. Um, and here's another one from William Carey, which I love. Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. In fact, I think this one might be on um, Mark's pin-up board because I see it every time I go and have a meeting with him. (laughs) Such a brilliant quote. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. And again, William Carey is someone who didn't just say this sort of stuff. He did it. So he was born in the 1700s in England. And that was a time when no one in Europe went on missions. There was an attitude among the Christians of Europe that, you know, if God wants to save other tribes in other parts of the world, he'll do that without the help of any Christians. Uh, it just wasn't part of their theology. It wasn't part of their church culture. And uh, basically, William Carey just went against all of that so-called wisdom and literally invented the modern missions movement. So to make the point clear, Anna and Rosie and Wes would not have done what they did the last six months or a year or, or more if it weren't for William Carey. Like he launched the, the, the um, modern missions movement, which has been going on for, for hundreds of years. He gave his life, also uh, like Mother Teresa, in fact, to serve the people of India. And by the end of his life, he translated the Bible into six languages and parts of it into 29 more dialects. And he trained dozens of missionaries and, sent, and seen hundreds of people saved. And he also was uh, a key in bringing the practice of widow burning to an end. So that's when a husband would die and the, and the widow who was still alive, as they burnt the body of her husband, would throw herself onto the flames because she didn't want to be you know, left alone in this life. And it was, but it was culturally um, basically an imperative. Uh, and he was like, this is immoral, this has got to stop. And he, he brought that practice to an end. Um, he, was, he was a key player in that. So these are some pretty incredible people. Uh, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. You know, it's not just people in modern history, though, who've changed the world by deciding to do hard things. The Bible is like... One long biography of people doing hard things and therefore changing the world. Think about just some, I'm just going to give you some highlights here. Abraham left everything that he knew in his homeland to follow the call of God and become the father of the Jewish people. Noah preached for a hundred years while he built the ark and God used him to save many lives, including obviously a lot of wildlife. Moses overcame his fear of public speaking to rescue the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt. Ruth turned her back on an evil culture to live among God's people and she made bold moves to score Boaz and she was successful. And that took great faith. Deborah defied a culture that said women shouldn't lead and she became one of Israel's most powerful judges. When Israel's strongest fighters were too afraid, Daniel, as a teenager, trusted God and he defeated Goliath with a slingshot. Daniel refused to deny his faith to the point of being thrown into a den of lions, and there God protected him. Esther, such a brilliant uh, story. We preached on this a few years ago, so go back and listen to the podcast. I just love the book of Esther. But she was part of an incredible plot to rescue God's people from genocide. Amazing story. Mary faced a world of criticism and judgment from the culture around her to bring Jesus into the world. And the letter to the Hebrews actually does a similar thing to what I've just done now. It lists off a whole bunch of people who are basically Bible heroes. It's like the Hall of Faith, people call it, instead of the Hall of Fame. And after just summarizing the lives of so many different people, this is what the author of Hebrews says. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised to them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. It's an amazing passage, Hebrews 11. Go home and read it sometime this week. The whole point of what I'm sharing with you, I've you know, shared some characters from modern history. I've shared a bunch of, I guess, really brief Bible stories as well. But my point is, we are part of an amazing movement. See, heaps of people have actually gone before us and have left an incredible legacy, and they've changed the world in profound ways. And they were able to change the world because they chose to do hard things. So again, do hard things because you might just end up changing the world by doing that. Can I ask the band to come up and um, start playing just as we wrap up? So I made a massive list then of all these great Bible characters, but one person I didn't mention, of course, is Jesus. And he did the hardest thing of all. He took that cross and carried it all the way up the hill to Calvary. And he submitted himself to some of the worst torture that's ever been invented. And he did it not just as a physical thing, but actually in that act, he bore the wrath of the entire world, the sin of the entire world and the wrath of God for that sin. And he did that to reconcile a lost humanity back to God. That's got to be, surely that's up there as the hardest thing that's ever been done. And I guess I also don't want you to miss this really important point. You know, we shouldn't be surprised when people in the mainstream, you know, don't necessarily want to do hard things. There's a resistance against that. Many people, I guess, don't really know different. Like there might be a few heroes they think of that, you know, have done some hard stuff, but maybe that as a category doing hard things is just not there for them. But we've actually got the Bible, which is just this book full of stories of people who did hard things. And of course, at the very, very centre of that is our Saviour, Jesus, who did the hardest thing of all. We've got his example. And he did it to save us. Like, I don't want to just point to the cross as an example for us. At that moment, he actually saved us. He bought our salvation. And by faith in him, we are rescued from all the stuff that we've done wrong and from our distance from God and for all the sins of the future as well. So in that one event, Jesus actually saved us. But he also did it as an example. He did the hardest thing of all, and in doing so, He set an example for us to follow. So think about just this one last verse I want to share with you. It is from 1 John 3, 16, and it says, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up His life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Do you see that? It's talking about the cross. It's talking about the sacrifice that Jesus made, but it's talking about it as an example. Because of what Jesus did in laying down His life for us, he actually left an example for us to do the same. So in a similar way, it might not be actually through martyrdom, it might not be because we're crucified in a you know, public place or something like that, but actually every day we get the opportunity to lay our lives down for other people, for our brothers and sisters, for the world that doesn't know him. And that's a hard thing. There There's brilliant Mother Teresa quotes I didn't choose that talked about making the biggest difference in the world by making the tiniest choices in the world. Um, she says it so much more eloquently than I could, but doing hard things is not necessarily about jumping on a plane to go somewhere if that's what god calls do it absolutely but doing hard things is actually about all the little choices every day and that's really what i hope um, that we can take away from this message tonight because that's exactly what it says here so we can give up our lives for our brothers and sisters that happens in all the tiny things so we're called to give up our lives for each other and for a world that doesn't know god and that's pretty hard but we've got the power to do it because Jesus has actually changed us on the inside and he's given us his spirit. And he promises to go with us. Another verse I didn't quote is in somewhere in 1 Corinthians, I think it is, where Paul is talking about how much suffering he's been through. Um, there was a particular moment in his life where he was just facing so much suffering. And God spoke to him in that moment and said, My grace is sufficient for you in your weakness. So in in our weakest moments, you know, when we're facing hard choices and God's calling us into you know some of the hardest decisions that's actually where he comes through and he gives gives us his strength so don't be afraid of your weakness either we have this example because Jesus did it perfectly and it's because of his perfect sacrifice his perfect example that he calls us to do the same so let's pray God we thank you for everything that you've Said to us in Scripture about doing hard things, and there's just so many in there we could never list them all. Uh, But that is definitely a category in the Bible that uh, speaks into our culture in a really profound way, because we are a culture that prefers instead to do easy things. Lord, I just ask that as we come to you, as we seek you, God, as we grow in our faith, that we would actually be willing to do hard things. That we'd be willing to obey you in this stuff, and every time Lord even just this week as we start to think through and and maybe live this out a little bit more I pray that when we are faced with a choice we would decide to do the hard thing instead of the easy thing and in doing so Lord that you would raise us up and and just keep calling us forward into greater and greater maturity to be like Jesus we thank you for your grace uh, that, that remains with us even as we make dumb choices even as we struggle even as we stuff up we thank you that you remain so faithful and so patient with us I just ask that as individuals, Lord, and as a community, we would uh, just more and more learn what it means to adult and to, yeah, just to walk in your ways. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.